Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. This morning's reading can be found on page 1182 of the Church Bibles. The reading is Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. That's page 1182. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things behold together, And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of this fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God, and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I... Paul have become a servant. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Paul. Do keep your Bibles open. If you have a church Bible, it's page 1182. Let me pray for us. Father, our prayer this morning is that we would see more of the glory and supremacy of Jesus. I pray that in my preaching and in the response of our hearts and in our lives, we would see a deep change, that Christ would be honored and upheld. We pray that your spirit would bring conviction to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Last week, I heard about a lady called Suzanne who inherited a 19.1% stake in the family business. Now, is that good news or not for Suzanne? It all depends what the family business is. If the family business is selling air conditioning units to people living in the Outer Hebrides, it's, it's not great news. The average temperature in the summer is 14 degrees, as we discovered last year. As it happens, for Suzanne, the family business is BMW, and because of her inheritance, she's now worth 21.5 billion pounds. You see, some inheritances are worth more than others. Just before our reading in Colossians, the Apostle Paul reminded his readers that God, verse 12, 
has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people. We may not be qualified to share in Suzanne's inheritance in BMW, but if we're trusting in Jesus Christ, we are qualified to share in the inheritance of God's holy people. But how good is that inheritance? Well, end of verse 12, it is an inheritance in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. If we're Christians, we've been brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his Son. This is where our inheritance is. But it's hard, isn't it? You can't type into Google Maps this destination and go and see the kingdom of the sun. There's no castle to inspect, no walls, no army, no crown jewels. Tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock, perhaps we'll be in the classroom or in the lecture theater or in the office with our colleagues or walking with a friend. And if we press the pause button at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning, there is no discernible difference at all between someone living in the kingdom of darkness and someone living in the kingdom of light. We have the same appearance on the outside. We have the same struggles in life, the same challenges, the same highs and lows of exams to revise for, for work deadlines to meet, stresses and strains at home with the kids. If a lorry pulled up outside my house tomorrow with boxes and boxes full of 100 pound notes and the driver brought the boxes into my front sitting room and placed them in a massive stack, I could see that inheritance. I could understand it. I could be excited about it. But this inheritance in the kingdom of the sun, it's hard to get as excited about an inheritance that we cannot see and, frankly, an inheritance that no one else in the world around us seems to want. Some inheritances are better than others. And in our passage today, Paul wants to show us just how extraordinary it is to have our share in that inheritance. And to reassure us that we really are qualified. It is ours to enjoy. Paul's big point today, I think, is this. The Son Jesus is supreme over all. Let's dive in. Three points. The first is this. Jesus is supreme over creation. Let's pick it up in verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God. There really was a man in history who walked around the dusty streets of Jerusalem a few hundred miles from Colossae. No one has ever seen God, but this man, Jesus, the incarnate son, has made him known. Verse 19, we're told, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. All the attributes of God the Father, 
his character, his power, his, his deity can also, also truly be said of Jesus. And so back in verse 15, the verse continues, the son is the firstborn over all creation. Jehovah Witnesses come to this verse and say, aha, look, Jesus was born, which means that he must have been created, which means he can't be divine. But we need to keep reading. Verse 16, for in him all things were created. Whatever it means for Jesus to be the firstborn over creation, it cannot mean that he was created because he made everything. He is the creator. Though from the context, it's clear that he is firstborn in terms of his status. He has the place of highest honor. The most glory, the most credit goes to him. He is the firstborn in that sense. There is no one greater in all creation because he made everyone and everything. There are around 7.9 billion men, women, and children alive today. There are kings, presidents, and prime ministers. There are class bullies, and there are the popular people that everyone wants to know. There are self-made billionaires and academic geniuses. There are sporting superstars and celebrities. There are the beautiful people, the movers and shakers, the social media influencers. There are people we look up to and are envious of, but Jesus is supreme over all. Scientists tell us that the observable universe is 28 billion light years across. That's only the parts we can see. It's probably bigger than that. And a light year, sorry, this is a physics lesson now, isn't it? A light year is a measure of distance. And get this, one light year, that's how far light can travel in one year, 5.9 trillion miles and the universe is 28 billion light years across. Blows your mind, doesn't it? There are 100,000 million stars beside, besides our sun, and that's just in our galaxy, the Milky Way. There are 200 billion other galaxies that we know of, and Jesus made them all. There are those who maintain that the Big Bang Theory can explain the origins of the universe completely in and of itself. But that theory doesn't tell us at all about where the stuff came from that produced the Big Bang. But the Bible tells us consistently that, that behind everything is a creator God. And here in Colossians 1, we discover it is the Son, the Lord Jesus. He has made it all. He is supreme over creation. But verse 16 continues, for in him all things were created, things in heaven 
and on earth, visible and invisible. Yes, this physical world that we can see and measure and observe, he's made that, but also he has made the things in heaven as well, the things that we cannot see. Heaven is not empty. Verse 16 continues, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. I think Paul is almost certainly talking not just about human authorities, but the heavenly ones as well. When we get to chapter 2 of Colossians, we'll find out that these rulers and authorities are evil forces opposed to the Lord Jesus. And so in the heavenly realms, over all spiritual forces, even those opposed to Jesus, he is supreme over all. Back in December, the James Lawrence Telescope was launched into space. The hope is that it will be able to detect near-infrared signals from stars that gave their light around 13 billion years ago. That's a long time in the past. But Jesus, verse 17, he is before all things. There was never a time when he did not exist. My final physics illustration, I promise. It's my uh, retired engineer and me escaping. The Large Hadron Collider near Geneva was restarted recently after three years of being upgraded. Lots of excitement about how scientists think they might be able to discover the fifth fundamental force in the universe at a subatomic level, holding things together that we cannot see or understand fully. Maybe they will find such a force. But whatever is holding the world together at the finest, smallest detail, as we drill down further and further, it is the sun. Verse 17, all in him all things hold together. The air we're breathing right now, the food we'll have for lunch, the sun that warms our faces, the atoms and molecules that make up the blood that's pumping around our body at this very moment in time, all actively, exclusively held together by the sun. Jesus is supreme over creation. But Paul's not finished. Our second point is this. Jesus is also supreme over the new creation. Look at verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For many people, our, our thoughts, our plans are consumed by things of this life, a relationship, a, a hobby, a, a job, a house, a car, a holiday, an experience. And at the same time, many of us are trying not to think about what happens in the future too far, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, 70 years ahead of us. We try to forget the reality of death, but death is always there. We, we, we go to the gym and we get fit or we eat healthy food, but eventually our bodies will fail. We might work hard to save up a big fund for our retirement, a bigger house, but we cannot take these things with us. But Jesus has 
conquered death. When he himself was raised from the dead, he is the beginning, the firstborn over a new life beyond the grave. And in that new age to come, in the new creation, he too also is the firstborn. He is supreme over the life to come as well as in this age. And so, who are we envious of? Who are we threatened by? Who do we aspire to be like? What are we lacking in our lives that we need to have? Because as a Christian, we have a share in an inheritance in the kingdom of of this son. You can forget the 19.1% share in BMW. This is the inheritance you want. An inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. A hope that goes beyond the grave. A share in the kingdom of the Son. Jesus, supreme over creation, supreme over the new creation, and finally this morning, supreme over reconciliation. We saw it in our little video earlier on. And we see it everywhere in the world around us. Our world is deeply divided. We've seen it in what's been happening in the Ukraine. A terrible example of deep division, of of hostility, of violence as Russia has invaded. We've also seen it in how the world's responded to what's happened in the Ukraine. Uh, Some nations speaking out against the hostility. uh, Some in favor of Russia. Others on the fence refusing to come down either way. Just a reminder of how divided our world can be, and we've seen it again and again through the course of human history. And above and beyond the horizontal divisions and conflicts we have with each other lies a much deeper broken relationship vertically with our Creator. But speaking of the Son, verse 20, Paul writes, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. If you ever had a glass in your hands and dropped it by mistake on the kitchen floor and you've seen it shatter into a thousand pieces, that's what our world is like. And the only hope for our world being brought back together, reconciled, is through the Son, Jesus. What Paul is saying here in verse 20, he's not saying that every single person alive will automatically be saved. More about the importance of faith in just a moment. But Paul is showing us that the reconciliation offered by Jesus is global in its reach. It is for anyone and everyone, everywhere, at all time. But it's also heavenly. There are those spiritual forces opposed to God in heaven. The devil himself. And there is mystery here. We aren't told how the cross achieves reconciliation for the things in heaven. There's much we don't know this side of glory. But somehow the blood of Jesus shed on the cross 
holds the key to this whole broken universe, earth and heaven, being knit back together again through the sun. No politician, no treaty, no alliance, no political correctness or enhanced education can do this. Jesus is supreme over reconciliation. And if this all seems very sort of high level and abstract, Paul then zooms right in to the Colossian Christians and makes it very personal. Verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Paul takes the Colossians back to the time before they became Christians, and it's striking, isn't it? They were enemies of God. It's not just that they were a bit too cool for God or hadn't really got around to thinking about the big things in life, or were just confused about the evidence before them. No, they were against him, defiantly so. God was an enemy to them. And the same is true today. Our classmates, our work colleagues, the world around us, they're not neutral towards God. It's not just a case of, I don't know, I don't care as so many of our friends will say if we pluck up the courage to mention Christ to them. No, there is real hostility towards him. Humanity wants to overthrow the creator. That's been true ever since the very third chapter of the Bible back in Genesis 3. And in response, God is angry towards us. We are his enemies as well because of our response to him. It goes both ways. And the evidence for our heart rebellion to God is sketched out in vivid colors on the canvas of human history and in our lives. Uh, The footnote in our Bibles, um, in verse 21, I think is a helpful uh, translation. Our, Our loss of temper, our lust, our envy, our pride, our impatience, our selfishness, they're all symptoms, all evil behavior that reveal the reality of our rebellion against God. It is a sobering analysis of the human heart, of our hearts, of my heart. You see, so many people think that um, they've got God in the dock. You know, they're kind of weighing up God and working out if they think he's good enough or worthy of their loyalty. But actually, we're the ones in the dock before God. And the verdict is out. We are enemies of God with lives marked by evil behavior. And if we press the pause button at verse 21, none of us would have any hope of sharing in the inheritance in the kingdom of the Son. How can rebels find a home in this kingdom? But let's continue. Verse 22. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. 2,000 years ago, outside Jerusalem, a man called Jesus with a real physical body died a real death 
that he did not deserve, but he died the death that we did deserve for our rebellion against our creator. Growing up in Scotland, when I played a bit of rugby at school, uh, in the winter, it was impossible to play a game without getting covered in mud. Afterwards, just be caked from head to toe in, in yucky Scottish winter mud. And so too for us in this life, it's impossible for us not to rebel against our creator and not to display that rebellion in our evil behavior. We get covered, if you like, in, in the muck and mud of our rebellion. We are blemished before God. But Jesus lived a perfect life. He never once rebelled against his Father in heaven. He always loved his neighbor perfectly. No evil behavior at all. An imperfect life and a perfect life. And on the cross, Jesus gave his body in our place. A swap took place. And we received his unblemished, perfect life. And he died the death we deserved for our evil behavior and our rebellion. And that is why, verse 22, we can stand before a holy God without blemish. There's no mud or muck that now sticks to us. We're free from accusation. Not because of what we've done, but when we put our trust in Jesus and his death on the cross, it's all because of what he has done. And that means we are qualified through faith to be welcomed into the kingdom of the Son. Jesus is supreme over reconciliation. And so it's no wonder, as we come to the end of this passage, Paul makes a final plea to the Colossians. Verse 23. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Jesus, he is supreme over creation, over the new creation, over reconciliation. Why would you move on from him? He has everything you need. The call to the Colossians and to us is to stick with our faith that we began the Christian life with. It's all we need. Don't move on. It is true that we cannot use Google Maps to go and find the kingdom of the sun. It is true we cannot see it yet. It is true that many people in the world around us would mock us for thinking much of the inheritance coming to us. But one day, our hope will give way to sight. And this supreme son will return and we will see his kingdom for what it is. And we will understand just how wonderful and extraordinary our inheritance is in his kingdom when it comes. Two final thoughts as I close. The first is for those who might be here today who are still working out what you think about Jesus. I'm so glad you've come. You're welcome to come and come week after week and grapple with these questions. But I hope we've seen something more of the claims of the Bible about Jesus and also how urgent it is that you decide for yourself who you think he is. But for those who are trusting in Jesus, I wonder if you noticed Paul's goal in writing this wonderful passage this morning. 
He tells us what it is back in verse 12. As he finishes his prayer, we looked at last week for the Colossians. He prays, verse 12, that they would have joyful thanks, giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his people in the kingdom of light. He wants them to be joyful and thankful. And of course, joy is a funny thing, isn't it? Because our emotions go up and down with, with life, and life is often hard. And I don't know about you, but the moment someone asks me, oh, Pete, are you joyful today? That's the moment I probably stop being joyful. But for Paul, the, the source of joy is not introspection or even a survey of our immediate circumstances, but rather the news that we've been qualified. We're in. It's ours. It's coming to us. Nothing can take it away from us. We have an inheritance in the kingdom of the Son. This morning, if we realize this joyful thanks has faded from the theme tune of our hearts, my goal is not to beat you up this morning or to tell you to try harder to be more happy, but rather to come and look again at the Supreme Son and to marvel that he would choose you to be in his kingdom forever. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you that though he is the supreme son, he also died on the cross for us. We are so grateful for all that he has done and for the inheritance that is ours through him. In his name we pray. Amen.